0: Welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, and with me as always is Gabe, a.k.a. the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Gabe.
1: Hey, good to be here. And this book, oh man, I'm I'm excited to get into some Dune discussion tonight. This is a big world. (laughs) We're just at the tip of the iceberg.
0: Yes, indeed. So yeah, we're going to be talking about Dune, uh, the first book in the Dune saga by Frank Herbert from 1965. And we figured we'd tackle this book because the movie, I think in the last episode, for some reason I said it was coming out at the end of September, but it's actually the end of October. And I was just misremembering when the movie was coming out. So it's actually the end of October that this uh, is coming out. So yeah, that's oh well. Uh, But yeah, so the end of October, I think the 22nd, is when it comes out in the U.S. and China. It's actually out internationally in other countries right now. So there's reviews coming in. It's already made. As of the recording of this, I think I saw it's over $100 million at the box office right now. So, And that's without the U.S. and China, which are some of the biggest markets. So hopefully that is a good omens for getting the sequel, because uh, Dune's hopefully going to be too... Movies because uh, they're going to split the book in half and do one first part and do, do two movies for it. So, yeah, hopefully it should be good. So that's why we decided to read Dune. Um, yeah, hopefully it'll be a really good discussion. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on social media. You can head out over to our website, pagesoflight.com. Check out our blog and stuff like that. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, go subscribe on YouTube as well if you want to watch the video version of the podcast. And... Yeah, I think we can just uh, jump into the discussion. So what, did you have any just general thoughts on Dune? It's both of our first uh, read-throughs of this book. So Yeah, so uh,
1: if you guys are listening to this, have a little mercy on us. This is our first trek into Dune. It is a very big book. Lots of ideas, yeah. lots of concepts. Um, yeah, Frank Herbert's characters. mind. Lots of characters. Um, I love how you get like the like what's going on in the galaxy, you know, (laughs) like uh, it's a very huge scope um, and all the warring factions and everything. So uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, Definitely a really good book. And I like how uh, we get into the internal thoughts of the characters and why they make their decisions. And we don't do that just for one character. We do that like for a lot of different characters and we kind of get to see what they're thinking like in real time during conversations, during the fight scenes. Uh, so I thought that Frank Herbert did that very well. Um, so yeah, he did a good job of world building here. What'd you think, Tyler?
0: Yeah. Yeah, actually speaking of that, the, like the third person omniscient perspective I think is the technical term for what this uh writing style is, that's a bit new to me because usually like I read a lot of Brandon Sanderson and he does like you're in one character's head and for that chapter, and then you switch to a different character and then you're just in that character's head. So if you're in a conversation with multiple characters, you're only really getting the thoughts of one character from that conversation. Sure. Um so this is this was a little bit different whereas you can have you might be having a conversation, and then whenever you jump between characters, then you also get their thoughts, and it's like a shifting, uh, like you're shifting into the different minds of all of the different characters. So plans yeah, within
1: plans within plans.
0: <laughs> yeah, plans <laughs> within said. plans. So
1: yeah, it's a uh, it, yeah, cause like uh, you you hear like both sides of the conversation, and you see how like both sides are scheming yes. at all times. It's yep. uh, it was very good.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So you, it's cool. You can see like one character is thinking something, and then you hear the other character's thoughts, and they may be like, they, they're they're pretty sure that they understand what the other character is thinking, but then maybe they're slightly off. Um, so you could just see some interesting dynamics with the uh, how the conversations go and stuff. So yeah. Uh, general thoughts on Dune. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, it's not as like action heavy as some science fiction novels are there's a lot of um like discussions of political intrigue and philosophy and like how your mind works and how you think and um uh, lots of religion talk as well because you have uh the religion of the fremen which we get a lot of information about because uh, paul atreides is the supposed chosen one or the the, pr- the prophesied messiah that will uh paul, Paul Wadeeb yep. um, Gabe Sorry, has the just... audiobook knowledge so he has he's will defer to him for all character pronunciations
1: And I will still mess it up but I will I'll give it my best shot but I do remember I thought it was spelled with a W like the entire time I was listening to it on uh, my headphones because they kept saying Wadib, Wadib. and so I was like and then I saw it written and it's with an M uh, so it definitely threw yeah. me off
0: yeah so yeah i do think it's a really good really good read and uh it's a classic sci-fi so if you're into sci-fi you should definitely check it out because um it is the inspiration for a lot of future science fiction uh to come later on so yeah um that's just our general thoughts i think we can jump into a little bit of just like the world building and the atmosphere um so there's, at the beginning of the book, you're on a planet called Caladan, and then later on, for the rest of the book, we're mostly on the planet of Arrakis. Um, and I think I just loved, especially on Arrakis, I just loved the, like, the descriptions of the places and, like, the, the atmosphere and the use of, like, colors and how he was describing different places and, like, the sand dunes. Because when you think of, like, a planet like Dune, like, how, how can you bring vivid descriptions to a planet. That's just basically a bunch of sand. Um, yeah. But he does like a really good job of it. Um, and uh, especially with like the, the creatures and the sandworms, like adding to like the suspense of like uh, the, like the thump, thump and the lump lump and where you're, you can like see the worm coming and it's like this foreboding uh, whole thing. And yeah, that's uh, like the yeah, Jaws music
1: just, is playing.
0: <laughs> yeah exactly that's a good that's a good parallel there um I don't know. yeah i don't know what did you think about just the just the atmosphere and you know various planets or well it's mostly just arrakis there's not really other planets that much
1: yeah not not really um yeah we do get some scenes in like uh with like the gladiator scenes with um fade ratha and yes. the Harkonnen family we do kind of get that yep. Uh, actually, sometimes I feel like I got lost on where things were because there's so much of the internal monologue. Like I'm, I'm like, sure. like, where's this conversation happening again? <laughs> like I like I would tune yeah. out for a minute and be like, and then I would come back and be like, okay, we're having this really important conversation. It's between uh, the Bene Gesserit witch and uh, the Mentat, and. I forget where we are, <laughs> but all this important information is like happening between them. Um, but yeah, so, um, Arrakis is a great planet. Wouldn't think of it on my own. And, uh, I love the, um, the worms, like you said. And, um, yeah, I, I, hear that those become like a bigger part of, um, oh, and they, they're like considered the, the desert power, like Paul, uh, oh, yeah. Atreides and, um. Yep. and duke um atreides um were like saying what is desert power going to look like is it going to include air power and then at the end of the book we find out that desert power is the ability to ride giant
0: worms <laughs> <laughs> well and it's also the 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 power of the fremen because the fremen are such a uh daunting fighting force that can compete with the emperors elite warriors the sardaukar i think there was one scene where they like went to go raid like the women and children and the only like a handful of sardaukar made it back because all the women all the women and children like slaughtered the sardaukar it's just like yeah
1: that was that was great (laughs) it's just like it's our weak and our feeble and we like took out your elite warriors
0: (laughs) yeah so like you can see like how uh, how much of a insane fighting force, a, like a a legion of uh, fremen warriors, would be men or women? Because both of them are seems like equally capable in uh, taking out their their enemies. Because for sure they were uh, they've lived on such a harsh environment. And one of the reasons why the Sardaukar were such great warriors is because they were on this like prison planet where they were put in these really terrible conditions and they were forged in like forged in the fires of Mount Doom, these (laughs) insane warriors. Um, But yeah, the, the, the planet of Arrakis is like a a step above the uh, the other prison planet. I think it was called Seleuza Secundus or something, something like that. Yeah.
1: I think you got it. Yeah.
0: That's probably wrong, but it was something like that. But um, yeah. So that, it was a uh, just learning about the Fremen culture too was really interesting, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but because I've seen a lot of images and trailers from the upcoming movie, I kind of was like filtering what I was reading through what I had seen in uh, the trailers sure. already. So like if you mm-hmm. like when they're they're putting on their still suits, I'm picturing the ones that they're uh, portrayed in the movie, um, which I don't know that's kind of maybe a good thing because it doesn't. Uh, it helps me like picture it in my mind a little bit easier. So I'm not as focused of trying to imagine it and and I'm more focused on what the characters are doing and what the, how the story is playing out. Um, but I don't know, it could be a detriment either way. My personal preference on that one.
1: Yeah. It's like bottom up processing versus top down processing. Like, like, okay. Bottom up is like, okay, I kind of know what it is. And now like I, I, I've seen it and now I'm kind of building like, what does it mean to wear a still suit and how it, preserves water and how it processes um water from the body versus the top down like hearing it and then constructing it like what would it look like on on a person and stuff um yeah yeah um i actually the only trailer that i saw was from like i think the 1984 dune which (laughs) just looked like a bunch of like B actors and (laughs) um yeah that's like all i remember they had some like Sorry, look corny special effects going on. <laughs> that's that's the only imagery that I really absorb before reading this book.
0: Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. I've not seen to it. watch just that, the trailer.
1: But... Just the trailer.
0: Yeah. I feel like I should watch the the nineteen eighty four one and then that way I can compare it to the the uh the new version. Heck yeah. I'm sure that the director has seen the old version and has probably sure taken has, a few yeah. inspirations from that. Uh, so mm. it could be. Uh, could you be know, someone's gonna make uh, a like watch. a
1: three-hour YouTube on like all the Easter eggs that they found between the two movies. <laughs> Someone uh, will yeah. do that.
0: There'll <laughs> be a, a frame by frame analysis done. I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> I think there's a. I think there's a Facebook page. It's called M it's called Avengers frame by frame or something like that. And every day they just post one frame from like an MCU movie or something like that. I've seen pictures of that. And They go into
1: analysis on it.
0: I don't know if they go into analysis, but they just like have like a little comment about the scene or whatever. Sure. But I'm sure all of that kind of stuff will be done uh, for Dune because we'll get at people least have two time. movies, probably. <laughs> yeah, people have time, and Dune's pretty pretty big, pretty big series. So, um, yeah, I don't know cultures. Uh, what did you just think about like the Fremen, the Fremen people? I thought it was interesting the still suits, just like that technology. How you have oh, like yeah. the thing in your nose where it like reclaims all of the water in your body and like refilters it. I just think it's a really cool technology that they. Have because they're on uh, such a hot, an inhospitable planet where there is basically like uh, no water sources except for certain parts of the planet. Um, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting technology that I haven't really seen in any other science fiction stories that I've I've read.
1: Yeah, I just thought that was uh, part of the world building. Uh, just like the attention to water and there's so many like. Um, of the cultural things about water that we'll get into when we talk about um the fremen a little bit more uh but yeah i just thought the still suit was great um world building the 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 pads like in the thighs are supposed to process like your urine and your feces and then you're supposed to drink the yep. the water so that you only lose one thimbleful a day of of water instead of like <laughs> dying outright in a day and stuff and um yeah i thought that was that was good um yeah the i like the 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 different cultures like um baron uh vladimir harkonnen and how he was um he was you know this like elite cast of society and he's like surrounded by um you know high level people in the, uh, in the empire and how his life is so much Mm -hmm. different from, you know, life on, um, Arrakis with all the Fremen and everything. And then, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of different cultures present. And, um, I think Frank Herbert does a good job of like building both like a, you know, I I think of the gladiator scenes and I think of like Roman society. Um, and then like, I think the Fremen are more of like a, like a desert sort of people. Um, And those are kind of like a Middle Eastern to me. Yep. Mm -hmm. For sure. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And, um, yeah. And just how like the Fremen are obsessed with just like surviving versus like the Harkonnens who are planning like, um, conquest over like the universe and over the planets and stuff so there's definitely like a disparity between the groups and and you can easily see that in the way that they think about things
0: yep yeah and you could definitely see um some like precursors to like a game of thrones-esque kind of story with a lot of the political scheming and conniving and people vying for the throne which is what game of thrones is all about uh trying to get <laughs> who gets get somebody else on on power on the throne um and so the Harkonens are like scheming and they're trying to do eliminate other people who are uh uh like threats and who could possibly take the throne um because he's trying to uh vladimir harcon i think is trying to get his nephew to be the one that can sit on the throne because he is he is too old he's not going to be able to do it um and he's mm-hmm. like He's really, he's really big and fat, and he has like these uh, suspender things that like keep him up. Um, yeah, it seems like he weighs just like eight hundred
1: pounds. Um, yeah, and the, the suspenders like he only has to carry around like a hundred pounds of weight. And uh, at one point in the book, he's like, "You always have to be hungry, Fade Rotha. You always have to be hungry, like me." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah he was probably thinking yeah i bet you are always hungry <laughs> <laughs> <let you> look.
1: <laughs> the um the the voice i don't know who they got to do the voice actor but like in these um interludes with baron vladimir Harkonnen, he like he's he has this like the voice actor just has this commanding voice and it's it's yeah. so deep and like resonant like <laughs> i was like that is that is the voice of authority right there when i heard it um throughout the book um and it was really weird because like in this one section they didn't use that same voice actor but it was him so i was confused because i was like it's always been the other voice why is it this new voice now
0: oh no uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, was, that was probably jarring it's like what that's a different person
1: <laughs> yeah I, I was just like who is speaking because i was so used to like the other voice. And I was like, oh, it is him. He is talking right now.
0: Yeah, the you said something about the commanding voice of the voice actor. And even if I didn't have the voice actor, I still think that came across in the writing, uh, just of like how he talks to people. And he can almost seem like he's trying to make people feel very small and like he's above them. Which in a political sense he is above them. But I think when you're in that kind of position of power, you almost have to like set yourself apart from other people, or you're going to like lose the power of your authority or people won't take you seriously. So you almost have to have like this kind of commanding aspect about you in order to demand the respect of the people that are under you. Um, and you can certainly do that in different ways. And Vladimir does it in like a super overbearing and like prideful, uh, brutal, brutal, f- yeah, prideful, yeah. brutal fashion where there's like no room for air, and if you mess up, you're basically just gonna get killed. Um I think there was that scene with uh uh his nephew Faid Routhan. That's probably the incorrect pronunciation as usual. Fade
1: Rotha. Fade mind, Ratha. Fade away. Yeah, fade Ratha. Fade away,
0: okay. So Fade Rotha, he I think he uh at one point in the story he tries to have uh, Vladimir killed because he wants his position and, uh, he figures out his plot. And so he makes, uh, uh, him go over and like kill a bunch of the, uh, he makes him go to like the, the pleasure house or whatever it is. And he has to kill all of the people in the pleasure house. Cause that's what he got his, that's where he got his pleasure. And so in order and for punishment, he just, he had to basically eliminate that whole part of his life. Um, so that's just like an example of like the brutal fashion or like even like some of his guards, he had people do a job and go kill somebody else. And then he told some other people, okay, now you need to go kill those guards. So there's no more witnesses that the person was killed. Yep. And it was just like this never ending thing of like, it doesn't matter who dies. All that matters is like that. The the plan is executed correctly and that there's no uh, witnesses to like tie things back to me in a sense. And uh going back to like the game of Thrones kind of esque stuff like that. There is a lot of those kind of things in the game of Thrones where you, things happen and then there needs to be no witnesses. So they needed to, to axe the people who know and, um, uh, do like a cleanup job kind of thing. So yeah, the Harkonnen house, that's a pretty, pretty brutal and, uh, yeah. Unforgiving.
1: The, they're the plans within plans, within plans, people, um, for sure. Um, yeah, when you were saying, like, his leadership style, like, and how you have to kind of be set apart, I was brought back to Ender's Game, which we just did, and how sure, um, yeah. Ender felt that way with his, um, you know, with the people that he was commanding, and um, and I think I expressed it when we were talking about Ender's Game. I felt like em- uh, Ender did it in a very humble way, like, he was always there for his troops, like... Um, like Ender acted with grace with his troops. Like he understand limitations. Um, he would always try and take the burden on himself. Where then you have the reverse, you have um, you know, basically Satan on um, Vladimir Vladimir Harkonnen's shoulder. Like, what what can we do here? Oh, it'd just be easy to just kill everybody. Let's just, yeah, let's just do that. You know, <laughs> like that's the decision making that's path going of on. least resistance. Yeah, and and very, you know, um Oh my gosh, uh uh Machiavellian. Thank you. I could not think oh, of the word. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like um, yeah. you know, the ends justify the means. Like we're going to get to where we're going. It doesn't matter who we walk on. It doesn't matter who we trample on. Yes. Who we kill, um and that's very much the way that they live. Um yeah. In that house, and that's why they all. And yeah, when Fade Rotha sends the assassin, uh, let's just talk about how terrible and perverse the Baron is. It's a it's a young male boy, and um, earlier yeah. in the book, he's like he's like drug him up so I don't have to wrestle with him or something. It was just like just a terrible, yeah. terrible human uh, human being, um, and like just filthy in every part of his soul. You know uh, he. Participates in gluttony and overeating, and the suspenders are the um, only way that he gets around. And they like, they like make him hover, and they say how like light footed he is, even like he's so so big. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, definitely paint like a really bad picture. But then at the same time, you know, he is a good leader because he likes to, um, because he does have a degree of empathy, like Ender did, he's able to read people. And he said to Fade Ratha, I think at some point, he's like, the Mentat feels deeply. And he's like, that's okay, because then you can bend them to your will, because he had that deep understanding of people. And so like, uh, you know, there's a quote out there about, it's not um, your abilities that defines you, it's the choices that you make. And I feel like, you know, we do this Ender Wigan versus, um, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, and we see how you can embrace either side of, of being a good leader. You can choose like a godly path that, um, brings people up and builds them up and trusts them and gives them grace, or you can live in Satan's shadow and be living in fear. Like if I mess up with Vladimir, uh, I, Vladimir Harkonnen like he's going to kill me or like you know every like the second his rage is like activated you're yep. like someone's gonna die and I really hope it's not me I hope it wasn't me that messed up yep. um, so you know that's why I think that the the you know they say that the kingdom is coming to earth, um, and also there's places on earth that are kind of like hell, like you know think of these people if they were actually people you know you'd want to gravitate towards Ender because of that grace and that you know that's a place where the kingdom is coming, you know versus um, this other place where you know you might have the luxuries of life and it might be great you might have riches and women and all this stuff, but the second you mess up, like you're going to get the ax and that's not a place where God lives. Um, But it's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people seek those things, uh, those worldly things. And then they're happy with where they are. um, But they're also living in a chaotic kind of hellish place at the same time.
0: Yeah. um, he. It's like he's a leader where the, people are following him out of fear, not because they necessarily believe in like the cause that they're pursuing. Maybe like his direct relatives do because they're like part and parcel and they can benefit from the uh, power that they get. Um, but like Mm -hmm. just the people who like work for them, like they're not necessarily, uh, yeah, we're just, we're the Harkons and we're going to, we believe in what we're doing for the, the good of all mankind kind of a deal. Um, and yeah, you were talking about like the Christian aspect and something that I thought about is how, like we were talking about like how he's set apart in, in and in a place of power, it kind of made me think of how Christians are also supposed to be set apart, but we're not supposed to be like of the world. So we can um, like, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't like lord it over people and be like, make fun of other people because they're not Christians. You should want to like share what you have out of, joy and out of a desire for them to also have what you have not pointed out and be like, you're going to go to hell. Like, you know, the street preacher people it's like, repent or go to hell. It's like, I mean, sure you can do that, but that's not like a necessarily a good way to like convince people or lead people um, in a way that it's called the gospel makes them
1: the good news for a reason. It's supposed to be, you're supposed to be sharing the good news with people. And and, you know, Tyler, I love how you, call people in the podcast and on your YouTube channel to just, you know, tell the gospel to someone because it is the most fantastic news that God has died for our sins and we get to go to heaven because we can't do yep. it ourselves. That is the good news. And when people like to lead with fear. And yes, you should fear God and that's where wisdom begins. However, sure. Like there is the good news, like you are saved. Yep. And that is the best news yep. that we can hear.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, in our church life group, we're doing, uh, we're watching this video series about, um, like evangelism and bringing the gospel to people. And it just kind of put like an imperative on it. Like how many people in the world don't, haven't heard the gospel, or maybe will never hear the gospel in their whole life. And, um, that's just kind of, but if you just think just think about that like the amount of people who won't hear the gospel and potentially will be going to hell because of that that mm-hmm. kind of shifts your mindset a little bit to be like wow like the like the eternal souls of people are on the line and it's not just about like me and my comforts and whatever I'm doing here on the earth it's not about me it's about what uh, what I can do for the, uh, the, the people on the earth and how I can bring the good news to them. Um, so it's just kind of a humbling, it was certainly a humbling uh, video to watch. Um, so looking forward to the rest of those as we go through them every week. Um, yeah. Uh, transition from the Harkonnens to uh, the Atreides, because I think there's a very big dichotomy between how, vladimir harkonnen leads and how duke leto atreides leads and there's like a serious um stark differences between like how they go about leading their people so the harkonnens are all about like uh fear and punishment and uh and like ruling with an iron fist and the atreides are more along the lines of like we are we're loyal we have a duty um more we're we're we need to be honorable in how we act and uh, how we treat people. And uh, we should have, as best we can, we should kind of have altruistic motives. Um, yep. I think at like a first glance, you can kind of see those differences between the two houses. Um, but I still think even though the Atreides maybe aren't as uh, gruesome and brutal as the Harkonnens are, there's still a lot of uh, like selfishness in how they um, go about things. Um, just because like Duke Leto, I think was also trying to go for the throne as well, because he wanted to harness the power of Arrakis and that desert power. Cause he knew that would give him, uh, the ability to compete with the Harkonnens and to compete with the emperor to make himself more powerful in the uni- in the galaxy or in the, in the world that we're in. So, while at like first glance it might seem like there's a little bit more altruism on the Atreides side, I still think there's still an element of where it's um, not as altruistic as it might appear to be. Mm.
1: So where does it draw the line between like righteousness and altruism? Like, you know, like I'm thinking if I'm Leto, that he sees the injustice Mm -hmm. in the world and he's like, I don't want the Harkonnens to have that power. I want that for myself sure. so that I can yep. like take that hurt away from the people that they're stepping on. Um, does that line exist? Do we know how to find it? I don't know. I just ask some questions sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's probably a line somewhere where it's, you can uh, like pursue things for the good of other people, but also for yourself because you maybe know if someone else was doing it, it would be uh, like the results would be worse than the what would happen if you were in charge or something like that. So I yeah, think it's and then like I
1: also like war inside myself, like when I do something like am I doing it for the right reason or am I doing it because sure, I can yeah. tell people I, I did that. Um, and I think, you know, I think that just, just even asking the question of yourself is a step in the right direction because, um, it's, I mean, knowing the will of God is, is very, um, is tough. Although I did read a really good book on it, um, called the four wills of God. I recommend it to anyone. Dr. Egger rich, I think is the name. Um, But yeah, just, I mean, challenging your own internal motives, like why you're doing something is the first step to like, like spiritual cleansing is, um, what, what are my motivations? Um, because we are so ingrained as people to just continually habitually make the same decisions over and over again. It's when we like step back and say, what is the reason that I'm doing this is, is when we, when we're starting the deep work. Um, And we're trying to pluck out sin by its roots and not just treat the symptoms like what what is motivating me? What um, like how how do I get to the bottom of this? Um, and a lot of people um, we live in such a fast world that a lot of people don't take the time to ask themselves those questions it's just activity activity like I'm mean, gonna go home I'm mean, gonna do stuff with my family it's gonna be awesome I'm gonna you know post about it on Facebook I'm gonna go to sleep I'm gonna wake up I'm gonna do it again tomorrow and then there's no there's no time that there's no that reflection time that's necessary for the deep dive into um, into challenging your your own views I mean if Um, A lot of us are in the position where no one can challenge the views for us. Sometimes you have to step back and challenge your own views, say, is this biblical? Is this what I want to do? Is this honoring God or is it not?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we certainly, we live in such like a, a culture that's just like inundated with information and like constant sensory overload. And there's just so many things (laughs) that you could like fill your time with and Like there's so many podcasts, so many YouTube videos, so many TV shows. Like there's just so many things you can fill your time with. Um, But if you're always consuming, then you're never like reflecting on what you're uh, like, how you're going about your life kind of in a way. Or if you're consuming something and you don't take time to think about it and reflect about it, then you're not, you're never going to learn anything from what you're consuming. You're just consuming for consumption say because it makes your mind feel good or your, um, whatever sensory it is. Um, and so you're, you're doing it without maybe necessarily a purpose. Um, you're just doing it to do it. Um, whether it's to like keep up with the Joneses or cause it feels good or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I think like taking time to just rest and like think about things you've listened to or learned or read or we you know whatever it is that can help us to really, um, come to like conclusions about it and like how to apply it to our own life and maybe make changes that are for the better for ourselves or for our community or for you know whatever other groups that we're involved in. Like how to actually take what you've learned and make an impact in the world in some way. Um,
1: and you know who would be really good at that? Jessica Atreides, aka the Benny Gesserit <laughs> Witch. She is all about. Sorry, I segued there for us. Um, no, yeah, go for um, it. You take that segue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, um, belongs to a culture of witches that span across time and influence. You know um, the going on, and they are like the puppet masters behind the curtains in this um, in the Dune series. And um, Jessica selective is breeding. The, Yep, selected breeding program. Um, so, what is the official? Uh, I forget the name um, of Paul's. Uh, like, he's going to be the male Benny Gesserit witch, and he kind of has um, what seems like access to like. Yeah. So, um, Carl Jung talks about the uh, collective unconscious saying that like uh we have access to the memories of our ancestors um and it's really greatly visualized in the movie avatar where they have this like world tree and they like take the neurons out of their ponytails and they stick them into ground and they can access like the collective unconscious um and in this book they have um the like the female Benny Jesuit witches, and it it seems like they have access to this collective unconscious uh, on the female side, and then they're they're predicting that at some point there will be a male who comes and has all these skills, um, and he yep. is the uh, and spoiler alert, <laughs> it turns out to be Paul Atreides. Um, so and she is always a concubine to. Duke Leto, um, never actually yep. uh, his wife. Um, but at the end, they're like, we will be remembered of the wise, even though we held the title of concubine because, um, I mean, I think yep. they both had deep love for each other. Um, I don't think he ever took another wife or lover or anything no. while um, Jessica was there. Um, yep. But, yeah, so they have, like, this crazy skill set um, <laughs> that they teach to Paul where it's all about, like, like controlling your mind, harnessing your primitive nature, soothing yourself, and then knowing what to do in any situation. Um, they have the power of yep. like the voice and being able to like um, kind of like trick people's minds into listening to them. And yeah, it's like the Jedi mind trick. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, and so she passes these teachings down to Paul, and. Paul is also like sounds like he was partial mentat. So the yeah, I origin think he got,
0: got Benny Jezzerat training from Jessica and then he got mentat training from Thurfir Hawat or whatever. Whoever they I uh, think Atreides mentat is. I think yeah. he got training from both of Hawat, them. Hawat, I think. Yeah, Hawat.
1: And then he gets uh he gets <laughs> like super fighting uh from the other guy. The, the guy who works for and Gurney uh, Duke Leto. Yep, Um, so he's like he basically is in like super secret assassin school for like his entire life Um, that's like all he does all the time is learning these different disciplines and he is becoming something that isn't a boy (laughs) it's like he pulls from all these different um, skill sets and that's why Paul is Paul and he becomes the chosen one Paul Wadib for the Fremen yeah um any thoughts on uh, um paul or jessica tyler
0: um yeah i mean i think the i always enjoyed listening to like the or not listening i i read i didn't listen but um like looking at the different benny jesuit like axioms or like sayings that they had or things like that mm. um because i think there was a lot of truth and what like their principles and what they were trying to aspire to be um they're almost trying to be like the they were almost trying to be like a a version of the stoics from like ancient greece um where they're like not trying to let your emotions dictate anything about your decision making and um just like letting those things pass from you and um only focusing on what you can see and the facts and um, the things you can uh, interpret from like how other people are talking, kind um, of like an empirically
1: things... based approach. Like it's based on like observable, seeable things, and that's what we're gonna base our next actions off of. That sounds what sure, but I think
0: it's describing. also has a lot of stuff with like, like intuition, like reading how people are talking to you and trying to read what mm. their uh, what their emotional state is. So you can kind of gauge how they're going to act in certain situations. Um mm-hmm. so almost like you're you're highly observant. Maybe it's not intuition, maybe it's just like a Have you ever seen um the Sherlock Holmes BBC show Sherlock oh, with yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh, I love
1: Benedict it's, Cumberbatch. I, I, yep.
0: Yeah, so a great show if you haven't seen it, but they visualize the way Sherlock thinks really well where he'll like look at a scene and then you'll they'll like zoom in on a specific thing and show a bunch of words around what he's looking at uh, to indicate like what he's thinking about. So he'll like look at a watch and he will see like there's scratches over here or uh, he'll, he'll look at a ring and he'll see like, Oh, well this one is clean on the inside, which means he takes it. She takes it off a lot, which means she's probably unhappily married. So like all these different like observational techniques I remember that, that he's that using. Episode, yep. Um, I think that's the first episode, but, um, but he's using all of those different observational techniques to, uh, make it a highly educated guess about what this person's life was like and like maybe the actions that they would take in the future. Um, so I think it's something along those lines where Paul has the ability to like, uh, be very like, uh, empathetic in a way he can read people in their emotional state, but he also has like the mentat training, which is the very calculated, um, more like computerized way to think as well. So he has like a blending right. of these two um, like thought processes and uh, so that just kind of makes him like a, a step above like somebody that would just be a Benny Gesserit or someone who would just be a Mentat. And he's like a hybrid of both of them. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes you a good candidate to be a, a, a prophesied Savior of a people. Yeah,
1: you're, like, becoming less and less human because, I mean, those those things sure, are yeah. so human to be, like, unobservant and to not be disciplined and to uh, not think about, like, the long-term consequences. Um, those are things that we learn um, as we grow and mature. Yep. Um, but that's, like, you know, like, he has such a, a lock on them, <laughs> like, at the age of 12 that he, he is yeah. evolving into something different because of... Um, He's not he's being ruled by his Yeah. Yeah. I, I meant just like in his like progression, like, you know, he's oh, training. Yeah, so yeah. young, Yeah. Like he goes through that and he's um like becoming Paul Wadib. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, I like he said he was say.
0: 12 years old and I was just thinking of uh, Ender being six years old. Who do you think is the superior being Paul Wadib or Ender? <laughs>
1: Uh, strategist, Ender, Paul Wadib for like Jedi mind trick. Leaders,
0: Jedi Leadership, mind trick. like,
1: <laughs> uh, like having supernatural powers. <laughs>
0: um, but that's actually interesting. Yeah. Like talking about, uh, cause Ender Wigan was also the product of like a genetic engineered society almost. And, uh, Paul was also kind of part of that as well with the Benny Gesserit, uh, selective breeding kind of thing so that's two themes uh in dune and in ender's game about like the use of genetics and selective breeding to bring about uh like a superior being or a superior uh race of people almost which is a um an interesting theme uh oh probably wait wait explored a lot of Ender- different science fictions
1: wait till ender's shadow we will go deep into this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait till Ender's <laughs> Shadow. You're talking about genetic stuff. Wait till Ender's Shadow. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say, Tyler.
0: All, all right, say. we'll save that discussion <laughs> for Ender's Shadow when we get there in uh, two, three, four years or whatever. Where,
1: <laughs> yeah. Wherever that falls, you know.
0: Wherever it falls, yeah. Maybe we'll get there at some point. Um, yeah, I think I just wanted to talk a little bit as well about. Uh, paul atreides and just the idea of like a chosen one or a prophesied one um there's been some criticism in like popular culture that dune is like a white savior story where like the white guy comes and he just saves the the people from this uh thing uh from the the harkonnens or whatever um I don't know, do you have any thoughts on just like the idea of like a savior or a prophesied person? Um, I, I, yeah, I was reading
1: the book and uh, it was like it was saying. I read I, I forget which book it came from, um, but it was saying how this is like a common like trope. And I, it was like they were like, it's Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, like the son of a very important sure. person is like is born and then they're moved into a place where they have low station and then they stay there and then they're safe. And then there's an event that brings them out and they have to go and challenge the person, uh, that like basically got them there in the first place. Um, and that's kind of like the storyline that we have here. (laughs) Um, yeah. Star Wars is
0: heavily influenced by Dune. So,
1: yeah. um, yeah, and this was, and the author was just saying that that happens a lot. Um, but yeah, so Savior, um, do I have any thoughts on Savior? Um, no, no, not really. Uh, just that Jesus was predicted all throughout the Old Testament, and um, yep. I think there were like, I I don't remember where I heard this stat, but I heard something like there were over a hundred. Like predictions about Jesus that he fulfilled um, in his life, and yeah. there's actually like a rabbi who like became a Christian because he he saw he looked through the Old Testament and he saw the predictions about Jesus, like he will remain unbroken, he will like have water come out of him, um, and I don't I don't remember all the other ones, but there are a ton of them, and he actually became a Christian because he just saw he read through the Old Testament, he's like if I believe the Old Testament, then then the only option is that Jesus is the Messiah and he came to save us and die for us. Um, yep. That's all I have to say about the Jesus.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I was going to try to lead in as well to like a comparison between Paul and Jesus and how like Paul is kind of like a Jesus type figure for the Fremen people, but he's ultimately ultimately like a flawed savior because I think he's, he's not, he at the very end of the story, you do kind of see like the dark part of him as a character and how he, uh,
1: his terrible purpose.
0: Yeah. Um, like he has these visions of, uh, like things that might come to pass and he's trying to get all this power so that he can prevent those things from happening. Um, but I think, maybe it's going to be a case where like, he's trying to do all these things to prevent this thing from happening, but he can't prevent it at all. And it's out of his control. And so, so I think he, maybe he in his pursuit to be like altruistic, he kind of like loses himself in the, the desire for power and for, um, like destroying the people who put him in that situation. Like he almost has like a little revenge, um, story towards the end of the book in part three where he goes to the um the the emperor and he you know we'll talk a little bit about that in the second uh part to this episode, but I think he's he's a flawed hero and he's he kind of points out and you can kind of see like what hap what can happen whenever you you put your faith in flawed people. Like they're always just gonna let you down in a sense. Um like nobody's gonna be able to live up to the expectations that you have set for them if you're in a scenario where like you're a prophesied one or a, a type of Messiah and you know, only Jesus is going to be um, the type of figure who can really live up to that expectation. Um, I don't know. You have any other yeah, thoughts? Yeah, no, I,
1: um, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I definitely see the internal struggle that Paul is going through and he, he is flawed but i also think that at the same time he is like fighting against his flaws like he's actively like saying like this is something that i see and like they keep referring to his terrible purpose which like confused me i was like what is this terrible purpose and i think they said like the jihad like once or twice and i was like what is that um but I, i feel like you know he is flawed but at the same time he's also he is fighting to be the right person. And like, even like in, um, you know, we'll talk about Stilgar here in a minute. Um, like even the way that he handles him in, um, you know, in the traditional Fremen society, um, if Paul is going to become the leader, um, he has to kill Stilgar, but he kind of, Uses his power yes. to influence and, and yep. change the customs so that he doesn't have to kill a trusted advisor and friend um, just to fulfill yep. some sort of you know tradition that the fremen had always used. So I I I do see um, I see both sides of the coin.
0: Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we can just jump into some of the fremen stuff if you want with a uh, Stogar. I really liked Stilgar as a character. I thought he was a very like, like rough and tumble, like brutally honest kind of uh, character for Paul. I think he was a really good mentor to him, and uh, he was really willing to like teach him like the ways of the Fremen, and to kind of show him like and give him a lot of grace as well. Like he would, there would be a lot of situations where Paul would like. They would ask him to do something, and he like didn't really know like what he was supposed to do. And then Stilgar would say like, "Oh, he doesn't know the custom. Like, let us explain it to him. That way, he can make a decision after he's been given the information." Um, so mm-hmm. he didn't just like throw him in and be like, "Oh, well, you can make all your decisions and you can figure it out all, all on your own." Kind of a deal. So I really enjoyed um, him as a character because I think he did a really good job of fulfilling. Kind of becoming like a father figure uh, because his father had been murdered by the Harkonnens um, in the first part of the book. And so after his father gets remember murdered, he has tooth. that time. have <laughs> yeah, I remember the truth Yeah. That was a good scene. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he has like his time with his father in, on Arrakis, and then his father is murdered, and then he has this time in the desert where he's kind of. He has to survive and figure out like how to uh, make his way through the desert without dying and all these things and keep his mother alive and they can help each other. And then he comes and meets the Fremen and then it's kind of like this transition process where he's um, transitioning himself from a boy to a man and becoming a leader and all these different things and um, being the uh, like fulfilling the things that he was destined to do in a way. And I think Stilgar is a big part of why that happens because of how he um like helped him along the way. Um so yeah. I, Stilgar was uh he was a great character.
1: Yeah, and I think the way that they introduced him uh at the beginning with um when he's with uh Duke Leto Atreides um like even though the Duke is in charge of Stilgar, like Stilgar like makes his presence known. He comes in as like a strong authoritarian figure and you kind of like are taken aback like, Whoa, he'll, he'll, he'll speak his mind. Um, and he, he doesn't yep. hold back. Um, yeah. And I just think that, um, he was a good character throughout the book. And I mean, you, you basically hit all the highlights that I would talk about. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah,
0: no, sorry. Thought, you can expand on good. one of them if you thought one of them was particularly really good.
1: Um, you know what, I'm having trouble remembering like the specifics of Stilgar, like the the different things. Um sure. yeah, so I I'm, I'm gonna leave it with what you said.
0: <laughs> sure, yeah. Um yeah, I think I liked the first meeting between Stilgar, whenever they get out of the the desert and they get into that little cave and all the Fremen are there like waiting for them. Um and he has that like initial fight with uh that jam jammas i think is his name um mm-hmm. and i think it's interesting Maybe, yeah. that uh like that custom where like jammas picks the fight and he uh paul kills jammas and so paul kills one of their own people and i think in like a lot of situations in a lot of cultures like if somebody that's of your own kin was murdered you'd want to get like revenge on them but their custom is like no and you, by an outsider. You, yeah like not part of Um, the
1: culture you would get kicked out or yeah for sure
0: but like because he it was part of their customs that if he were to pick this fight with an outsider and he would lose then there's no revenge to be had because that was like completely on uh on jamis and he he lost and he instigated the fight to begin with um so i don't know i just thought it was interesting and then he has to like because of that situation like he has to like take Jamis's place in a sense. So like that's his like yep. initiation into the Fremen culture and then Stilgar like walks him through the whole process. Um Yeah, I just I, I love that whole kind of Yeah, that was a very into interesting, the into the like, culture.
1: Yeah, it was very like um you know, so you learn about this this uh fight, you know, this battle uh, and how you like take the place of the person that you've um you've killed and then you have to accept their water, which means, um, what, yes. what was the term that they used? They uh, rendered the water out of him. The word render is just like, ooh, like <laughs> <laughs> like disintegrating, <laughs> like getting all the, the matter and then the water separated and you have to accept the water. That was like crazy. Yeah. And then that, again, just that world building of like, water is precious, it is the most important thing. You have to have it. We. It doesn't yep. matter how gross it is. It doesn't matter that it came out of someone else's body that you've killed ten minutes ago. You have to accept the yep. water because it's all about the survival of the tribe. And um. Yep. And then, uh, you know, then he cries because you know Paul is an empathetic character, and um, you know, they he gave moisture to the dead, and then um, yeah. he's introduced to um. I think we're saying Shawnee, Shawnee. Johnny. Um and that is Good I enough. think is Jameis' wife. Um and no, that's they had um, a kid to,
0: That's not his wife. Uh okay. his wife was uh Hara Okay. And so she had the two wife. kids or whatever?
1: Yep. One with him and one um one with Jameis and then one with a uh, yeah, previous. previous person. Yeah. Um yeah, and then, so, Stilgar explains, like, this is your woman, and you can either accept her as your wife or as your slave, and he's like, well, and yeah. Paul is like, well, what can I, can I change that? He's like, you have a year to decide whether um, yep. this is going to be a permanent, you know, um, thing. Yep. Is it going to be just the uh, the servant, or, uh, and then she ends up loving Paul, like, right from the get-go, and she was just like, he was, uh, you know, Jameis was really good with the kids, but... Like I'm willing to accept you as like my new person and I'm going to listen to you. And that is so foreign to us as Americans where we're like, she America. was almost
0: like, she was almost like, uh, uh, take like grieved that Paul made her his servant instead of his, Oh, wife. she was. Yeah. She's like, I'm, she still, was like, young. I'm, I'm still, still young. I'm still young enough. Yeah. I'm still young enough. Why am I your servant? Um, yeah I just don't think Paul was like he was not in the mindset to be like oh yeah sure I'll be your wife or or, you'll be my wife that's great Um, yeah he's
1: 16 years old he's not looking for commitment at the moment (laughs) yeah right
0: listen I just showed up uh, here I don't I can't make any commitments like this right now yeah um
1: yeah so I just thought that was a really good introduction into like the Fremen culture and how wildly different it is from our own culture here and yeah. Well, in the U.S., but also like in other parts of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then I guess the the last major Fremen character is Shanai or Chane or however we're pronouncing her name. It's probably incorrect yeah, I, all the ways. We're sorry, everybody.
1: I was like, <coughs> I I got all the names. I've got like the Fremen, the Sardaukar, like Vladimir Harkonnen, and then like these just these uh, these smaller characters. I'm like second guessing myself or i can't remember i will do it i will send you a list of (laughs) how to say people's names i will do it (laughs) um
0: but so she is um she's the person that paul sees in his visions um when he dreams about the planet of arrakis and so whenever he sees her then he's like oh i know who you are and uh you know she kind of becomes his lover he doesn't make her his wife or anything but they live together they have a kid together who they name leto after his father and um yeah no i don't think i think she's just kind of like his like support system and somebody who like believes in what he's doing and his purpose and um i think like he doesn't necessarily because he's lost a lot of people in his life. He doesn't necessarily have a lot of, um, intimate friendships or relationships with people, um, that aren't, uh, like in authority over him. Like his, like he has his mother, but like there's, there's a difference between like a parent son relationship and somebody who you've kind of view as like almost your equal. That's mm-hmm. maybe an age in some way. Um, and so I think she was kind of a good, um, person where he could like, talk about his home and like process things that um, he's like struggling with in some ways. Um, So yeah, I think she's, she was a, she was a cool character.
1: Yeah. um, I like how he was, um, he like learns about her early on and then like she becomes like his reality, like halfway through the book. Um, Yep. Yeah, other than that I, I don't have too many observations on her.
0: She wasn't like a big character. I think in the movie they're making her seem like a bigger character than she was because we really don't get a lot of her um, until like at least halfway into the book we don't actually physically meet her and then even when we do meet her she's only she's not in like every scene. And so there's not um there's just not a lot of uh like there's not a lot of Big events that are like centered around her as a character. Um, she's obviously the father of his, one of his sons, but spoiler, uh, he gets killed. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know. It's not, I don't think it's a big deal that we don't have a ton to say about her. I think I just think mm-hmm. she was a she's a good character for Paul um, as a, in his transition to being a, like a uh, an Atreides to a Fremen um, and, uh, helping him along the way there. Um, yeah, I think probably getting to a good stopping place here. Um, one thing I wanted to end on, I kind of wanted to add a new segment to the podcast, but I didn't tell Gabe about this beforehand. So I just, I just kind of thought this up on the spot, but, um, I, I think it would be cool if we could give like uh, like a favorite quote from the books that we've been reading or something that really like impacted us or something that we really thought was, uh, meaningful. And, uh, I, one of the quotes at the, towards the very beginning of the book on page 10. Um, and I think this is quoted a lot in the trailers for the movie as well. Um, where Paul is saying something about fear and I'll just read this quote and it says, uh, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path where the fear has gone. There will be nothing. Only I will remain. And I think I just really loved that, uh, passage just because, um, specifically from a Christian worldview perspective, there's a lot of times in the Bible where Jesus tells us to not fear, do not be afraid and all these types of things. And, uh, this kind of parallels the parallels that same sentiment, uh, for Christians where like we, we can have fear, but we need to face the fear and realize that, um, like we have power over the fear. We can control our emotions. And, um, by being able to do that, we can, um, not let our emotions control how we make decisions and to be, um, uh, I guess like not, uh, not make rash decisions and really focus on what we can control and realize that God is in control and not us. And, um, that we don't have a reason to fear because he has us in the palm of his hand and he controls our, our destinies here on earth and our eternal destinies, uh, whether that's, um, having eternal life or eternal damnation. Um, so there's really nothing for us to fear, although it's hard for us to always like live that out. Of course um, we're still going to have things that we're um, afraid of because uh, we can't live perfectly. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that passage or just fear in general? Uh, as yeah, a Christian? I,
1: I can build off that a little bit. So when you started saying that um, I thought about um, Ephesians six, where it talks about, um, the armor of God, and it has the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, um, the shield of faith, and the feet of peace. And I kind of think that that would kind of fall under the uh, shield of faith. Um, And if we have deep faith, we can learn to cast our cares on the Lord. We don't depend on our own understanding, but we look to the Lord in all things, And, um, there, there can be a certain piece in that. Um, and then in a personal example, this is going to be such a random example, uh, like some of my kids, uh, so I work with a very unique population at my school and, um, this one student brought in a water bottle and like, like threatened to like squirt all over like my work clothes and like... My, my thing with the kids is, like, I'm the adult. I'm, like, I've been a teacher too long to be, like, gotten by the kids and, like, to get upset. So, like, she goes and, like, like gets it real close to me and, like, fake, like, squirts it on me. And I have zero reaction. And then, like, she immediately turns to the person next to me and just squirts them, like, all over them. <laughs> and uh, I was just, like, I think I had my, like, my, like, god armor on in that moment. I don't know how, but it protected me from getting sprayed with the water. So I don't know if that's a real thing, but I believed it in that moment. Um, so, uh, no, but I, I do like the quote. I'm just looking at it one more time. Um, fear is the mind killer. It's the little death that brings total obliteration. Um, I also think that you have an obsession with getting rid of your fear. You talked about lock and key, that girl going into her mind and locking her fear <laughs> up in a coffin and burying it in the backyard. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, it is a good scene. Um, but yeah, I think you know we can just turn to God in those situations where we have fear, and we lean not on our own understanding, but we turn to God in all things, and we cast our anxieties upon Him. Um, yeah, yep. that's a good quote. I'll have to do a favorite quote when I know that there's a favorite quote section of the podcast <laughs> coming up.
0: <laughs> sorry as you as you know we're <laughs> novice podcasters so let's just decide like written on the all fly over this it. is a new it's thing i want all over to do the place. cool um, we're gonna try lots of
1: different things we'll get there tyler we'll get there
0: <laughs> yeah we'll get there um yeah i just think i like that quote because also like fear is the mind killer just because you like if you have so much fear in your life and you're being consumed by your fear like you're not able to make decisions you're you're paralyzed by your fear. And it is like being a mind killer because it it stops you from thinking objectively about uh, whatever decision you need to make or whatever action you need to take. Um, like you've heard the, the term of people like freezing in like high stress situations where they lock up and they can't like do anything. And that's just like a situation where the fear has just cons- completely consumed them and they have no idea. Sure. how to act or they can't make a decision at all. Um, and it will bring total obliteration to either yourself or the people around you, um, who are, uh, going to be impacted by whatever decisions you're making. Um, so yeah, I just think that's a, that's a great quote and there's a ton of other quotes, but you can't go through all of them. So you just have to read Dune and experience all of the cool quotes for yourself. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, next episode, we're going to be doing part two of this uh, Dune discussion. So we'll talk more about some of the story aspects, um, kind of just follow Paul's story uh, to the very end. And um, yeah, then we'll we'll go from there. Uh, if you want to see more content from Pages of Light, make sure you head over to our our website uh, see our blog and also make sure you go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, You can watch the video version of the podcast over there and you can also see some of the other videos uh, that I've created. If you want to check those out, you can follow us on social media of course Um, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. Um, And you can follow Gabe at neighborhood And yeah, Every, all those things will be in the description. Um, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're listening on. Leave us a five-star review and give us a little, little note about why you like the podcast. If we get someone with an actual review instead of just rating it, we'll, I'll try to read it on the podcast. Um, so we'll give you a shout-out there if you go leave a review. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, any last thoughts about podcast, Dune, anything? Uh
1: uh yeah dune is a is a great book and um yeah i hope we can um if we revisit it we'll do it some more justice don't you think tyler
0: yeah for sure we could probably do like a a ton of podcasts on specific aspects of uh there's a ton as a book like even (laughs) just like that quote i read like you could do a whole podcast on like like fear in dune and how it applies to your life and how christians can think about fear like you could do a whole 40 minute hour podcast on that um but we will use the time uh use what we have with the time that we are given so great that's gonna wrap this up uh thanks for listening or watching remember to keep reading and share the gospel with somebody this week and we will see you guys in the next episode see ya